0: what's going on folks welcome back to yet another episode of in defense of liberation the show that is working towards and educating about a true people's liberation movement and hopefully one day a true proletarian revolution but until that day comes i am your host josh and i wanted to just say thanks for stopping by um so, this is going to be a great episode, me and my homie, Ramiro. Um, we've had him on before. <clears throat> you can find him on YouTube at Ramiro Sebastian Foynez. Um And you can also find uh, his stream, at Unmasking Imperialism. Uh, so, this is a great discussion about alienation in both the economic sense that Marx talked about in uh, Das Kapital, and then also its uh, psychoanalytical and kind of emotional effect on those of us today, um, especially throughout the pandemic. So I hope you enjoyed the episode. I hope that you can learn something from it. And I also hope that all of you who are going through this pandemic right now Maybe you've lost a loved one. Maybe you have had to have COVID yourself. Maybe you've lost your job. Or maybe now that the Supreme Court just ruled that the most recent uh, eviction moratorium was unconstitutional. uh, Maybe you're about to lose a home. Um, I just want you to know that there is, uh, you know, nothing that I wouldn't give to be able to help and be there with you. I'm incredibly... overwhelmed, as I'm sure many people are, by how much suffering is happening across the world now, even here in the United States. Um, so, you know, if there's any way I can help, please reach out to me. Um, I'll try to spread around GoFundMes, try to spread around any and all information that I can. Um, I you know, I just hope that everybody is able to stay safe during this time, um, I hope everybody has a sense of community, uh, loved ones, um, some kind of, uh, sanctity that can be found, because I think right now everybody really needs that, so I just wanted to say, folks, you're not alone, and even though you might be alone physically, um, You know, I hope that that begins to change. I hope that folks are able to see their material conditions improve, start connecting with communities and organizations to help uh, those in need. If you yourself aren't in need, um, I hope that folks will donate, spread around donations, um, and just kind of use this uh, awful time as an experience to start building solidarity with all suffering people here in the United States and I hope that people will begin to see this as uh, a clear indicator that it is entirely up to us, the working class, to improve our own lives and the lives of those um, outside of us, uh, outside of ourselves, those who society decides are not worthy. we need to be fighting for those folks we need to be fighting with those folks and we need to be fighting for an end to the system which allows for millions to go homeless uh billions to go without a much needed covid vaccine uh billions to have to work throughout this and billions who are without uh any kind of safety net whatsoever this cannot be allowed We need to smash capitalism and we need to do it now. So I hope you enjoy the episode. I hope everybody's safe and we will uh, be talking to you soon. All right.
1: Yo, yo, what's up, man?
0: Yo, what's going on? How are you?
1: I'm doing well. Can you hear me okay?
0: Yeah, I got you. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. All right, perfect. Well, I'm glad to have you back on the show, my friend. you want to go ahead and introduce yourself?
1: Yeah, uh, what's up, everybody? So my name is Ramiro Sebastián Funes. I'm a Honduran communist content creator based in Los Angeles, California. Shout out to LA, to Cali. I'm born and raised in New York got to LA a few years ago and have been creating content for several years. Uh, recently, a few months ago, launched a documentary Nicaragua Against Empire. I also do a regular podcast stream called Unmasking Imperialism that you can also check out on my channel. And you can check out my channel by just typing in Ramiro Sebastián Funes. I know it's a long Latino Fabi name. But if you type in Ramiro, it'll be the first one that comes up usually. So,
0: yeah. And uh, please go check out all of Ramiro's stuff. It's dope. And I'm always super excited to have you on the show. Um, And I'm super excited to do this episode because it's, I mean, I think it's pretty prevalent to life right now for just about everyone um, throughout the pandemic. Kind of feelings of depression isolation kind of loneliness and then we get to this topic which um you know some have talked about before i've heard some i think i've seen some youtube videos about it but alienation um which is a really important topic right now and an incredibly important topic in uh marxism so um I'm glad to have you on to talk about this. Um, So right off the bat, my friend, I just want to ask you, uh, what is alienation and why do we feel it is so
1: widespread and prevalent today? Alienation, first of all, is a economic term. I think that's important to mention because a lot of the psychoanalysis or postmodern folks will try to divorce it from economics. And I even hear some people on the right wing trying to use the word alienation, which is really interesting because on the one hand, it's good that more people are using it, that more people are familiar with the term, because I think it's something that a lot of people are going through. But on the other hand, we also want to make sure our terms and definitions are correct and that they're not being used in a false or incorrect way. And so alienation is an economic term. That is first used in Capital, Volume 1 of Marx, published in the mid-1800s. Again, Capital is Marx's seminal work where he outlines the basic mechanics of capital and capitalism, explains very scientifically how value is exploited and taken from the working class around the world in favor of the capitalist class, and this term alienation makes its first appearance in Marx and capital and it's rooted in economics. And this is so important to understand our current alienation in 2021 alienation in the economic sense as Marx outlines is the separation of the value of the workers product from the worker himself or herself. In other words, If you walk down the skies, if you don't walk down New York City, if you've ever been to New York or any other major city uh, of the global capitalist system, Paris, London, L.A., you walk down and you see these huge skyscrapers. You might even see a building that says Trump on it or Marriott or Ritz-Carlton or the names of these wealthy people. And on appearance, while these buildings bear the names of millionaires and billionaires who run the country. And it seems to be in appearance, their possession in essence, those buildings are the value that was created from the working class. The steel was probably taken from Asia, from China or, or Chile or any other steel producing country. The, Rubber that was used for parts of the building was taken from the Philippines. The tools that were made with iron were taken from the Middle East. The gas that's used to heat up the building is taken from oil producing countries. The people who built them, especially in huge mega cities like New York or London, or are usually South Asian or, or Mexican, Latino. And so it's a culmination of labor and resources from exploited global south peoples both in the global south and in the diaspora and that value of the working class is extracted is alienated is separated from those who created it right because it wasn't if we take the example of like a trump building in new york it's not like trump himself built the building it was used with the raw materials that were extracted from the global south and created by workers from the exploited global south. And so that value that is finalized in this product called a skyscraper or even other materials technology, iPhone, for example, that is separated from the workers who produce that wealth because without that worker, those workers producing that, there would be no skyscraper, there would be no iPhone. And so that's really what alienation is. It's the separation of working people from the products of their creation. And under capitalism, as Marx says, capital, under capital, capitalism, the producers bow down before their products. Those who create the wealth bow down before the products of their creation. And it seems like to take on a life of its own. And uh, around this time, we're talking about Frankenstein, the popularity of this idea of scientists creating these huge monsters that they lose control of. And that's what alienation is in the economic sense, the value that is created by the working class, but is not under the control of the working class and is used and appropriated by the capitalist. And this lack of ownership over the products of your creation not only separates you physically from your product, but it also separates you from your labor. It makes you not want to produce or work or want to go into work on a Monday morning or a Tuesday morning, because we all subconsciously know that when we're taking that commute to work, when we're in a meeting for work, we know that we're producing value for something that's not our own. It's a different feeling when it's the weekend and you're cleaning your house or you're fixing something you have, even if it's a little garden or something that's yours and you're building it and you're working it. It doesn't, it's work, but it doesn't feel like work because that value is being redirected back into your chain of energy, your, your, your possessions and under capitalism, it's the opposite, you're producing wealth for somebody else and so that is the economic basis for alienation and maybe later on we can get into some of the psychological effects of that. Hell yeah, that was a very great and concise way
0: to explain everything. Um, and you know, you made the <clears throat> the point that again, the producers bow down before their products. Um, in capital, uh, Marx goes into great lengths to not uh, fantasize or theorize a, a future society that can break away from capitalism, but to understand the scientific nature, the law of motion, and the principles. Of capitalism and capital. And one of the most important things to recognize uh, with capitalism is it is a system which exists in a class society wherein, as you said, those who produce are not the ones who appropriate the products or the value of their production. Um, So those of us who go to our shitty job on Monday and sit through a meeting and then go and do a spreadsheet and do this, that, and the other thing. We know it's bullshit. We know it's not important. And we know that it isn't benefiting us as much as we are benefiting the people that we work for. That's why oftentimes we, you know, kind of slack off. We don't really want to go. We call in. is because at the end of the day, We are working for someone else. Our labor is being purchased, just like any technology, just like any um, (coughs) tool that can be used to produce a good. Our labor force is being purchased and used for the benefit of another class. And therefore, as a whole, the working class is uh, without the products of its own labor. They are without the value of their production And that's why the gap between the rich and the poor is so incredible, because as production uh, ramps up, as we have technology that can produce more efficiently and effectively, as we continue into more and more consumerism, uh, the global market expanding and uh, inflating, we have more and more of this uh, wealth inequality that builds, because as we know, as wealth grows, so too does poverty. Um, so would you like to, I, I'm kind of going to spitball off to the script a little bit here, but would you like to talk a little bit about uh, why it is that as uh, more wealth is produced, so too more poverty is produced?
1: The reason that wealth and poverty go hand in hand under capitalism is because of the fundamental interactions of capital and, that take place on a day-to-day basis that create a negative spiral downward exploitative system. So what do I mean by that? So in Capital, Marx talks about chains or specters of transactions. So if you ever read Capital, you'll see the letters CMC or MCM written in the book. And C stands for Commodity. And money and M stands for money. And these are the interactions that guide everything. Think about it. You wake up in the morning to go to work. You go to your local bodega or your local coffee or Starbucks place. You have you're in possession of money, right? You're in possession of of this value, this money, and you're exchanging it for a commodity, which is the coffee. And in exchange, the Starbucks or the bodega or whatever it is that you're buying coffee from gets the money and they're relinquishing their commodity. Now, when we go into the workplace, there's the opposite relationship. Once we get to work, sometimes late, right? We are working. We ourselves as humans are the commodity. We're we're the ones that bring the value. Where the 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 items of value and and it's sick to even say it like that because capitalism views us that way and as a commodity. But our labor is a commodity because we work x amount of hours, we perform x amount of functions, and in exchange for that commodity, we're being given money or M. And so these are the the day to day ways of understanding interactions under capitalism. It's either M, it's either M to C, money to commodity or C to M, Commodity for Money. And the reason that wealth and poverty are baked into capitalism is because in each of those single transactions, there is a level of exploitation. There's a hidden level of exploitation called surplus value. And it's baked into every single transaction that happens every second of every day of every year. By the time I finished the sentence, there would have already been millions of people around the world whose labor has been exploited in in the time that, that we're talking now. And the reason for that is because every single financial transaction under capitalism is not done on an equal basis. And I think this is what most people on the right fail to understand is that every trend, there's no such thing as free trade. There's no such thing as an equal-to-equal interaction under capitalism because when you're buying a commodity with money, the capitalists view it as, and this is what Marx explains in Capital, that the, the, the line of exploitation goes MCM, money to commodity to money. So what does that mean? You have a certain amount of money, Right. You have wages that you're going to pay somebody to create a commodity or you're going to buy them their labor as a commodity to produce a commodity to then sell that and then get more money. Right. So as as a workers, as part of the working class, we're not we're we're getting money to buy commodities for ourselves to live. Right. We're we're getting money and a wage to buy food. To, to drive our car, to get gas, to, think, to, to purchase things that have direct use value, right? This is what Marx calls use value. These are things that we directly use in our day-to-day basis, our stove, our electrical, our car to get to work. Now, there are things that have exchange value, and this is where the capitalists exploit. They buy something like a house to then resell it at a higher price and make a profit. And that margin of profit allows them to continue over and over and over and over again to buy more wages, to buy more stuff. And that endless cycle of accumulation is what creates more and more surplus value that creates a division between capital and labor that is so essential to understanding because under capitalism, it's not labor for labor. We're not. It's, it's not like mutual aid. It's not like bartering. Exchanges are done with the intention of making a profit. For example, Fruit of the Loom or Hanes doesn't go to Mexico or Haiti or Bolivia to start a factory and create shirts and a textile factory just to break even. They go there to make a profit because they know they can pay the workers a cheaper wage. They know that they can pay cheaper supplies, have less labor regulations and they make a higher and higher surplus value profit. And this is surplus value. This is the hidden secret of capitalism. This is baked in. So that's why a lot of people on the right, in terms of economics, especially the libertarians, I mean, they fa- they completely fail to understand this, is that it's impossible for everyone to be a billionaire. That's logistically impossible. Just as you can't have hot without cold, you can't have Rich without poor, because they're two dialectical opposites in one totality. It's like a magnet, right? You you can't have a north pole without a south pole, and this is this is baked into the capitalist system. And as more interactions happen, you know, I gave you the example of the M C C M relationship, money commodity commodity to money. Those interactions, and in each of those interactions, there is a level of exploitation. And those acts of exploitation are happening every second of every day and multiplying over more and more and more. And Marx uses a term called metabolism. The metabolism of capitalism is speeding up. As capitalism gets bigger and expands and markets, you have iPhones all over the world, McDonald's, Burger King. You have capital speeding up, speeding up more exploitation, more huge amounts of wealth and more poverty around the world. And this is the the metabolism of capitalism leading to expanded wealth and expanded exploitation. Even in the COVID-19 pandemic, we've seen this for ourselves within the last year and a half, that there are more, there are a handful of billionaires that have multiplied their wealth by tenfold, elevenfold. And there are also more unemployed people, people in the real t- retail sector, people in the so-called unskilled labor sector. And so, these two opposites are expanding farther apart from each other, like a rubber band, right? It's kind of like, you know, when you're a kid and you have like a, a broken rubber band that's like ripped and ripped in half and you grab each side by, you grab each side with one hand and you see how far you can go and stretch it without it breaking. So we're doing that. Capitalism has been doing that for the past hundred years. And we're, Almost at that point where it's about to snap and hit us in the face. So that's really the the mechanics of of capitalism and why the rich keep getting richer and the poor keep getting poor. And
0: I think right there you show very you know importantly that in this situation uh, the exploitation and the uh, kind of appropriation of the value from the working class that's stretching that is causing more and more poverty for the working class when that rubber band snaps it's not going to snap and hit the ruling class in the face it's going to snap and hit the working class in the face because as we see every time there is a and i was even writing about this today you have so many different terms for it, but you got a bust panic, a crisis, a recession, a depression, but it all means the same thing. And Engels and Marx talked about this 150 years ago when they were saying that every five to 10 years, capitalism has a natural tendency to collapse. It overproduces and eventually it gets to a point where the products it has created can not be bought for a profit and therefore they have put out more money that they're taking back in and in that moment production stops jobs get uh uh sent out of the country people get fired um and because of the scale (coughs) excuse me because of the scale that capitalism has taken and because of its capture of the state power you now also have um As things like uh, the 2008 crisis, you have huge bailouts for corporations coming out of the taxpayers' dollars. So you have social services getting cut, you have government spending being directed towards military contracts and bailouts for banks. Then you do going towards things like assistance programs for uh, single mothers like WIC. Or uh, any kind of state programs that help, you know, uh, battered women, transgender folks, and people suffering that kind of trauma. These are all things that we could have that other states, you know, use as a tool to tamper down the working class's anger. But here in the United States, it's kind of, when you start paying attention, it's capitalism in its barest face. um, Just doing its best to try to act like it's not exposed um i wanted to read just real quick an excerpt from michael parenti's the face of imperialism um he's citing uh i can't remember the guy's name he's citing a guy by the name of Elick, Elich, e-l-i-c-h He says, in Bangladesh, workers sew garments for Disney and Walmart, earning the princely sum of 11 to 20 cents per hour. The pay is so abysmal that four workers must share a single shack and one outpost and water pump serves 60 people. Meals consist of nothing but rice, only occasionally flavored with a small amount of beans or potatoes. To manage even such a meager diet as this, workers must borrow money each week. The work week is 14 hours a day, seven days a week. If a worker is caught talking in the factory, he is fined a day's wage. Quote, it is a bleak life. We have no hope, confessed one worker. Another complained, quote, we have no life. We can't afford to marry. We have no wife, no social life. We live just to work. Um, this is, again, that was Disney and Walmart uh, who are causing that exploitation. We hear. In the United States, both get to uh, pretend as if we are a part of the ruling class by sharing in some of the uh, crumbs that trickle down, such as our iPhone or, uh, you know, going on vacation or uh, consumerism of any sort, like going to big shopping malls and spending a bunch of money. All of that, all of the privileges that we have here in the imperial core are predicated on the oppression and exploitation of the rest of the world. And the more privileges we expect to have in the imperial court, the more intense and the more uh, uh, spread out the exploitation is, the more people that are going to be exploited and the more intense uh, they are going to be exploited. Um, And I just think that when we hear folks who are not anti-capitalists speak about capitalism there's such an immense ignorance that is there and their own understanding of their own exploitation is just bleakly uh, absent and so i think what is really incredible is capital's ability to reorganize and reconcentrate itself and you mentioned how during the pandemic uh, a bunch of billionaires have made off with a shit ton of money and it's because as capitalism hits certain crisis periods we know uh, they have to capital has to centralize it has to concentrate wealth so you have huge mergers between corporations you have uh stocks that are sold off to individuals who have the money to buy them um and you have all kinds of things like uh there's a bunch of uh i I don't think it's banks but there's a bunch of corporations that are going around buying up all the vacant houses in the united states um and by doing this they are bringing incredible amounts of wealth to very very few amounts of people and this is another point of capitalism that's incredibly important to understand as the wealthier get as the wealthy get wealthier they become fewer and fewer and begin swallowing up one another and as they do that they send more and more people down into the working class and into the opposite side of the scale between the owning class and the working class. Um, And we are getting to a point today where there are so many people who have to suffer some form of kind of I don't I don't really know how to put it but they have to live a life that we shouldn't. They have to work a shit ton of hours. They have to live in shitty apartments. They have to basically live their life through social media cuz they can't afford to go out and do anything with their friends. Um they have to kind of avoid spending money so they end up living, you know, some depressing uh lives and a lot of this, you know, is getting to a point where the contradictions between the life we're told we're supposed to be able to live and the life many of us live, uh, I feel, became incredibly heightened during the pandemic. And I think that more people than before the pandemic um, seem to have, at least at a bare minimum, a mindset that capitalism is at least not, quote-unquote, good um i i think that this is a a decent enough starting point um but i think there's more here to understand so i wanted to ask you why do we need to have a materialist uh understanding of capitalism and especially as we're discussing of alienation and you maybe want to hit real quickly just uh what materialism kind of is in
1: a succinct definition type of way definitely so first starting off with the materialist world outlook materialism the philosophy of ontology ontology and philosophy is the study of reality how the universe works what determines reality? Is it our minds? Is it objective reality? Is it something that is in the material world? And materialists, given the name, believe that or know that that objective reality is determined by material beings or material relationships in real life, as opposed to the ideas that we have in our head. And we've all heard the famous expression I think, therefore I am, materialists take the opposite approach and say, I am, therefore I think. Being determines consciousness, not consciousness determines being. So this is different from a lot of the mindset of idealism, which is prevalent in capitalism, but also in many religions as well that believe in a separate higher power that exists in a realm independent from us, that believe that our souls or our minds are separate from our bodies as materialists. We understand scientifically that material conditions determine our consciousness without blood, without our heart, without our lungs, without soil, without clean air, we wouldn't be able to think the things that we think we wouldn't be able to have feelings because we are extensions of nature. We're not independent of and separate from nature. We are an extension of nature and, we ultimately are ruled by material reality. So that's how materialists view the world. That's the Feuerbach was a German philosopher who pioneered this understanding and greatly influenced Marx as well. And this is important because, again, going back to what we were talking about, alienation is becoming a more popular term. And I think COVID-19, like you said as well, really made this aware to people around the world. It was a moment, and it still is to a certain degree, where everybody was forced to stay inside. Everybody was forced to be isolated, to be separate, to be separated. But people who work low-wage jobs, undocumented immigrants, the most oppressed of the oppressed, who are relegated to some of the harshest occupations in the world, already experienced that isolation. A lot of the the isolation that most people feel today was already felt by immigrants, by the poorest of the poor who do nothing but work two or three jobs a day, interact with nobody. Maybe they clean. I remember living in New York and going to NYU. I remember seeing and talking with this one lady who was a janitor and she would just clean buildings at like the middle of the night, two, three in the morning. Right. She would just clean buildings nobody else. It would just be her and, and and her mop and her cleaning supplies. Imagine how alienating that is not being able to talk to anybody, not having a workplace culture, not being and, and it's mind you in the middle of the night. So it's not even like you're on a regular sleep schedule. That has a horrible psychological impact that literally fucks with your head. That does not make you a sane human being and no human being should have to live under that. It's the same thing if you work in retail, you know, if you work in cert- different jobs where your, capa- your full potentials as a human being are not developed or unleashed, instead you're forced to do the same repetitive task over and, over and over and over and over and over and over again, not developing you as a human, but just performing a small task to produce capital and surplus value for somebody who has no even famili- familiarity with the work that you do. And this is the materialist understanding of alienation because it is rooted in economics. It is rooted in the system that's in place now of capitalism that promotes individualism, that promotes profit that worships profit at the end of the day, because I think that one of the best ways to really think about it is people over profit, right? Because under capitalism profit is over people. We human lives accommodate profit people's, if we lived in a socialist society, every human being would be the measure of success in terms of literacy rates, health care, access to housing, how good people live, right? Buen vivir, as they say in some countries, especially in Latin America, that is the measure, the true GDP or the true wealth of a nation. And instead, under capitalism, wealth is measured by this thing called profit. That we worship, that is worship that is on the dollar bill, that is <laughs> worshipped as like a separate religion. that is the that is seen as a measure of wealth in society. It's separate from human beings, even though human beings created the system of capitalism. And that is the materialist basis for understanding alienation. And that's why it's important for Marxist communists of all strands to begin talking about this discourse because, there are so many YouTube channels out there I, I've watched them I follow them all the time that talk about how Gen Z is like the most sexless generation how like the Gen Z is like I especially feel bad for 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 Gen Z because they're they're talking about like how Gen Z is like a lot of the young especially young men who are addicted to video games and and playing it's just staying inside. And even think about it, like, I, you know, I was born 1991, so I'm millennial. And my generation, we grew up playing in the street. Like, I grew up hanging out with my friends outside on the block. I grew up with the generation that when cars would pass, we'd yell car, and then we'd come back, we'd play. Even if it was, like, a can, we'd play soccer with that. Like, we would be creative. You know, we we weren't glued to our smartphones, hunched over and interacting with people we've never met on a plastic device that, that we work our entire lives to pay the bill for. And this is, again, not to blame the individual people, but this is to blame the system of capitalism that has created alienation, has created this. Because th- people don't even know how to interact with each other anymore. People are separated and isolated. People don't hang out anymore. Like I, it's, I was just talking about this with my girlfriend yesterday. That I can't name a single person that I know who hasn't said, hey, I'm like feeling lonely. I'm feeling depressed. This pandemic or quarantine has me feeling alone. And I think a lot of people feel that way. A lot of people feel alone. A lot of people feel isolated. And the irony, the contradiction, right, using Marxist terms, is that we're more connected than ever. I can hit I can hit you up now through ig through whatsapp through facebook through twitter through you, so many ways yet the irony is that because of the state of the economy because of crises that are that are created under capitalism we won't have the same meaningful interaction because of that separation because i can't i can't fly out to new york right now and chill with you because i have to go to work tomorrow you know i have I have built you know i have bills to pay so i can't you know and and that and that's those are the i know people who like even kids i went to school with whose parents weren't even able to go to their graduation because they had to work they were undocumented or if they even missed one day of work they weren't able to keep their job so alienation is a product of capitalism and that's why it's important for Marxists to take this opportunity, as everyone talks about COVID-19 and the rise of like in celibacy, the rise of like the quote unquote celibacy, the rise of like video game addiction, porn addiction, the TikTok, you know, all this stuff, right? As, as these, this conversation is happening worldwide, we have to come out there with our analysis and say, this is rooted in the economic system we have and we have to change our economic system in a way that we're producing value. We, we receive all the value of the of, of our work, of our labor. Imagine if under a socialist system now, we get paid or we are able to sustain ourselves by having a little plot of land that we grow crops on and grow and take care of, and, and we share part of that with people who need food and this is what they're doing in other countries. I saw this firsthand in Nicaragua. They're, they're doing this in, in Venezuela, and in Cuba. And socialism can provide that outlet for a way out, for a way out, for community, for social interaction purpose. And that's why so many people online, especially young men, are moving to the right. Because the right is unfortunately capitalizing on this and saying That these white supremacist militias or whatever, Proud Boys or whatever it is, they provide that sense of community in real life that nobody else is offering. And so I think it's just something to keep in mind. And that's something I've been trying to do as well. Like I got off of IG and I'm only on Facebook in true boomer fashion. I'm not on Twitter, IG or TikTok, but I am trying to do more stuff in real life, organized in real life. And just have more in, in-person in interactions because I think that is so important to combating alienation. But ultimately it comes down to changing the overthrowing the capitalist system.
0: Hell yeah. Um, <clears throat> and to your point also about um, like folks having to miss out on things like graduations and shit like that to work. Um, I think that most of us have to deal with that to some extent because like if we lived in a system where labor was for necessity, <clears throat> where human needs like food, shelter, health care, things like that were just a guaranteed uh, right as a human being and you labor now instead of just to make a shit ton of money for some asshole You labor because either A, something needs to be done in your community, like some kind of project or something like that that people participate in, or B, you're short on cash and you need to go and make a little bit of money. Now, that's not to say that under a socialist system, we're all just going to be dicking around, walking around in these pretty parks and everything and just having the time of our life. If we look at uh, Cuba, if we look at Nicaragua, if we look at... Burkina Faso, if we look at China, if we look at the Philippines and all these different countries that are trying in different forms to self-determine, to build a socialist society, you recognize that, in fact, more now than ever, everyone's hands need to be on deck. Places that start building a socialist society, they work towards what is called full employment. And that is something that capitalism could never have, because as long as we have the um, the mainstay uh, idle army of unemployed people, it holds down things like minimum wage, because if there's on average 30 to 50 million Americans who go without a job every single year, then keeping the federal minimum wage at 725 is no problem because as soon as people go on strikes, as soon as people join unions, as soon as people try to organize around a higher wage, there's opportunities to fire them and bring in scabs of some sort or just simply people who you know not scabs even necessarily but just people who need money and aren't making any. And so this is one way that the working classes used against one another to further alienation. Um, and, and this causes and sows huge divisions, you know, kind of like you're talking about having the young white men going to the far right. It's because so much of the kind of mentality that they hold on to the perspective and the world that they want to have is the same world that has been, which is a world that is built for them, built for white men. Uh, And so when that world is being changed, where black, brown and indigenous people are fighting for their liberation in a world where LGBTQ plus folks are pointing out uh, the incredible uh, inequality and discrimination that exists uh, in not only just the United States, but the world in general. And they are not willing to accept that this is the way the world is going, this is the way the world should be going, because they, uh, in a lot of cases, whether it's consciously or unconsciously, feel themselves connected to the power structure and feel themselves to be on the top side of that power structure. And so as these things develop, they feel as if their a little bit of power that they have, because they are so lacking in Uh, self-esteem, they are so lacking in relationships, they are so lacking in any kind of power whatsoever, they have to have egotistical power. And so this leads to things like rampant sexism, transphobia, racism, acts of violence. Um, This is what oftentimes leads to things like uh, school shootings or church bombings and stuff, is white people, white men, seeing their hegemonic control within white uh, supremacist patriarchal societies being brought to question and they're not willing to accept that and so as the contradictions between this old society start developing to somewhat of a newer one where different ideologies are trying to wage a struggle against the uh dominant one you see uh fits of uh kind of reaction to that um and I think this is incredibly important to know and to understand because this is the reality that you and I, especially here in the United States, but around the world are going to be experiencing as uh climate crisis becomes more and more intensified as the continuation of what is being called the job shortage, which is actually just a wage shortage um, and ultimately a lack of power. Uh, a power shortage because the workers are not in control of their own labor and of their own value. And the culmination of that with the uh, pandemic, which for a majority of the world is still raging on as it was in the beginning, um, we see a whole lot of reaction happening all over the place. Um, I think that here in the imperial core we get the ability to pretend like that doesn't exist you know we're off fighting democracy we're not fighting for democracy here um because fighting for democracy here would mean the people who are signing the checks to send people to go fight for democracy across the lake wouldn't be in charge anymore because that is just the system that we have to endure, but we get to pretend like that shit isn't happening. And again, like we were talking about before, enjoy a little bit of the crumbs, a little bit more privileges than the rest. Um, but that too is slowly, but surely being bled out. Um, I think I, I just real quick, I've, <clears throat> I know I've been kind of rambling here, but I just finished, um, Capitalist Realism by Mark Fisher. Have you ever read it? I haven't, actually, no. How is it? It was really good for anybody who uh, is feeling isolated, is feeling depressed, anybody who just seems like, who feels like there is no hope, there's nothing that can change. um, Albeit, the book is kind of, um, I don't want to say dark, but it, it is... It is shaking. It is uh uh. It'll bring you kind of to the central understanding of how shitty the world actually is. But it's it's really cool because it gives you a clarity of understanding how this feeling of hopelessness that there can be nothing to to come that is better. He uh, opens up his book by saying, "I think it's a Slav Slavov." zizek quote uh where he says it's easier to imagine the end of the world than it is to imagine the end of capitalism and he kind Mm -hmm. of expounds on that as his argument goes throughout the book about why we today have not by our own individual want but along with our own individual participation, have created almost a self-fulfilling prophecy for ourselves. We become more and more alienated, making us more and more hopeless, separating us more from one another, creating more uh, division between us and the product of our labor, uh, rising inequality and things like that. And we look around and we just go, it, it, there's no way it can get better. Um, The book talks about also how we are living in a world that can't create anything new. Every movie that comes out is a sequel. Every album (laughs) is sampling songs that came out 30 years ago and getting sued by those people so that they can make the extra buck because all of them are working at fucking Walmart now. (laughs) um you got all kinds of different foods that are just not food being produced just filled with sugar and fat and all kinds of disgusting things you got every single ad on tv every single thing that you can think of just being a replication of another and he expounds on how this too creates that feeling of hopelessness but then the issue becomes that all the organizations all the struggles that are taking place in the imperial cores, they are centering themselves on that trauma and creating a negative feedback loop where they say, well, nothing can get better. So we're not going to do anything to try to make it better. And therefore nothing will get better because we feel so incredibly hopeless. We feel as if nothing can be done that we just simply and plainly try to capitulate to the system we just ask for reforms we ask for higher wages we ask for shorter hours completely ignoring that every time that a struggle like that has successfully been done not only has it been almost immediately taken away but usually it leads to the laying off of millions of workers again jobs being sent out of the country inflation Uh, housing gets more expensive all these things that we are supposed to have because we work and pay our taxes to fund this imperial empire we see disappearing in front of us and so we just want some of the crumbs we just want to grab whatever we can but we have to stop doing that. We have to stop organizing in that way. And we have to start building revolutionary organizations, which cultivate a future, which build hope, which connect people instead of dividing them. And which ultimately says, yeah, does capitalism really suck? Definitely. Is it destroying the earth? Oh yeah, for sure. But sitting around and posting about it on Facebook, or going and joining the DSA and having a debate group, or reading uh, Capital by yourself at your house and just recording a podcast about it, that is not going to change the reality we are living in. So if we want to change that reality, Mark Fisher says, as many before him have said, is we cannot give in to reforms. We cannot give in to revisionism. We have to be revolutionary. Um, So I wanted to ask you, after all of that, um, (laughs) how does kind of the alienation and depoliticization that we see today, kind of combined with the economic hardships that come from uh, late stage capitalism, again, the uh, wealth gap that's being created, and social and political persecution, leave folks open to right wing, conservative, chauvinistic ideas, we already kind of hit on that. But I would like to twist that also and say, how do you feel we can begin organizing around these things and trying to combat these?
1: Yeah, that's a, a great point. This is something that has to be combated in real life. And I went through a moment where I said, okay, the internet and social media are the new forms of Interaction. If you would have asked me a few years ago, I would have said that because of the trend. But I've changed my position. I I agree just like you. I think that things have to be done more in real life. Get off the keyboard and walk outside and work in your community and see what the issues are directly in your community. And that's more or less the approach that I've taken recently because a lot of people are cozy just doing stuff online which is good and an important part of that (laughs) but i think it's important to do stuff in real life and this is another way of combating alienation is having a family and a community by joining a group in your area by getting involved in in real life events you're also eliminating that isolation that feeling of not having a family or a community because we are we are people who want to interact. We want to... Humans are social beings. We're not isolated individuals. We want to be part of communities. And that's why you have all of these weird subcultures that emerge online. And I find them really fascinating, to be honest with you. I, I'm somebody who will, a lot of times on YouTube, will jump into random communities online and not necessarily out of complete adherence to the group, but just out of like seeing like who are the people that are part of this community and why. And so much of it is alienation. I think everyone, to a certain degree, is cognizant of the fact that alienation is worse than ever before under capitalism. But they're just unaware of why it's happening or how to combat it. And so I think in terms of combating it, one of the ways is A, to definitely get involved in local community stuff, stuff that's directly impacting you and people around you, as well as internationally, any causes that are near and dear to you of people around the world who are fighting against imperialism. And by doing so, you become part of something bigger than yourself. You are able to have a group of people or a family that can interact with, that you can socialize with. And using technology efficiently in that sense, not just being don't let technology control you. Don't let social media control you and determine what you're going to watch. You determine how you're going to use social media. The, The way we're like, we've never met in person, but we've used social media and media in general efficiently to have this conversation now and to actually have productive dialogue and being moving away from being just passive consumers of media to active producers is designed to create more in real life changes. And this is something that I think is, is really important, uh, but, um, but yeah, I just wanted to, to end it there. Word, man. I, um, I think everything you
0: said is incredibly important. I mean, if we are, if we are using our heads, well, then we understand that there is no thing that is truly bad or truly good. So things like socialism uh, or socialism, geez, Louise, things like social media um, and, you know, kind of uh, the Internet, although they have incredible uh, negative effects to uh, some extent, as in they do sometimes feed this tendency to uh, kind of separate. They do sometimes feed the uh, the kind of isolation even though we think we're looking for a community uh, sometimes we kind of especially on like Facebook you see folks just find a community that supports everything that they believe um, and helps them to kind of concretize their own uh, views and just kind of feed their own ego that's not better and that's not good in comparison to isolation they're you know they're both bad social media in this way and technology as you said should be used for organizing it should be used to try to have important conversations it should be used to try to connect with people um and we will you know obviously technology rules the world so we can't 100% live a life without technology and anyone who's kind of pushing that line um, is eh, boomerish but like I (laughs) I think that also a lot of us get lost in the specters we get lost in the distractions uh, that come up the crumbs and we can't be reformist Um, many many revolutionaries have said it that when you want to wage a struggle, and we want to wage a class struggle, meaning that we as the working class want to overthrow the ruling class and install the dictatorship of the proletariat, meaning that the working class is in charge again of its own labor, it is in control and appropriates its own value, and is able to wield and use those things, value and labor, for the benefit of the many instead of the few, Um So if we want to build something like that, we have to build it correctly. Like a house, we have to build the foundation solidly. And if we want to get to our uh, goal, then we have to wage that struggle conclusively to its very end, to its logical conclusion, meaning We can't just simply ask for a Bernie Sanders presidency. We can't just simply ask for workers cooperatives like Richard Wolff is pushing. We can't just simply ask for higher wages or taxes on billionaires. We have to demand and if not receive, take a society which is built for the working class, by the working class, and is able to build a better tomorrow for the whole world. Um, Saying that, my friend, is there anything you'd like to say before we close up? I want to say first, thank you so much for coming on. I love this conversation. I love having you on. Um, But is there anything you would like to say before you go?
1: Uh, No, I think you put it pretty well. I think something that came to mind as you were talking is the same way that the Bourgeoisie is carrying out the great economic reset, which they're calling it. We need a socialist economic reset, a complete restructuring of the global financial system away from capitalism. No more reforms, no more cosmetic changes. We should get to a point immediately where we address the international emergencies of climate change, poverty, hunger, homelessness. We can get rid of these things within days if we really put our minds to it as human beings and that's exactly what we need a socialist economic reset socialist revolution not reform and it's a pleasure to be on man I hope to chat with you again always great to speak with you Hell yeah my friend long live the
0: people's struggle um thanks for having on I hope you and your loved ones are good my friend um stay safe um and I am excited to record with you again
1: Thank you so much, brother. Take care.
0: All right. Peace out.